And meditation can teach you that stressful times, everyone has stress in their life, but it's about being able to step back from it and let it pass and not let it affect you as much. Um, you know, like every, think about a bad experience you might have had in your past where, you know, whether it be in your, your work life or your personal life, at the time you felt like it was a really big deal, but now you're over it, you know. So you've got to kind of look at that and say, well, every, every emotion you have and every feeling you have has a beginning and a middle and an end. Welcome to A Table for Two inspiring and educational interviews and stories with the best operators, owners, and entrepreneurs in business and the hospitality industry. My name is Phil Halani, and on today's episode, we interview Nathan Tolman, who is responsible for Kettle Black, Higher Ground, and Top Paddock, Melbourne's most iconic cafes. He has bought and sold over 12 venues, owns a coffee roastery, and is also a partner in Loon Croissants, which is considered one of the best in Australia. He's very passionate about the hospitality industry, but something that is close to his heart is the Common Ground Project, a social enterprise, a farm where people in the hospitality industry grow their own vegetables, start the day with meditation, and focus on regenerative farming. I always feel so inspired after talking with Nathan, and this interview wasn't any different. Just a few notes before we start today's show. We recorded at the Common Ground Project, so there is a bit of background noise, and we have had some audio issues, but nothing too major. A quick shout out to our good friends at ProCow Dairies and Sonoma Bread. They are passionate about supporting small businesses, the hospitality industry, and also this podcast. I started the interview by asking Nathan how he got his start in hospitality. Um, my first hospital job was probably when I was about 13 years old, in maybe seven or eight. Um, I used to catch the bus to school every day, and I was getting off the bus one day and saw they were building a a few shops near the bus stop and um, one of them was a pizza restaurant and I just went in and said, hey, do you need any part-time staff? So I got a job uh, washing dishes uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night and then I got into making pizza and then I just kind of um, got more and more involved that way and I've been pretty much working in hospitality ever since. Um, in terms of when I wanted to get into hospitality, it was probably way before that. Um, my earliest sort of memory would probably be when I was about seven or eight um, my sister and I went to Marysville with my parents, which is a, a town um, just past the Yarra Valley, about an hour from Melbourne. Uh, and our parents' friends owned the local pub there, the Marysville pub. And I remember just going in there and being completely amazed at this kind of world. And they took me out the back and showed me the kitchen and the storeroom and everything. And then they left us um, to kind of muck around and explore. It was like this whole world. And we actually saw these two guys that we thought were working there um, and they were taking the money out of the pool table and we said, I oh, will help you. And we gave them a hand and then went back to the guy who owned it and he's like, oh, where have you guys been? And we're like, oh, we've just been wandering around and helping the guys get the money out of the pool table. And he was like, what, what guy's getting the money out of the pool table? And it was a couple of robbers. Um, so we had to basically <laughs> so call you're, the police. You're assisting, you're assisting the, Pretty the robbers. Much. Yeah. That's awesome. So that just kind of got me so excited and I was like, this is where I want to spend my life. That's amazing. So that was, you said seven? Around yeah. Seven? Yep. That's great. And at that point you're like, this is what I want to be part of and – yeah, yep. Awesome. So went went through high school, finished year twelve, and then went and studied hotel management for three years at William Angles. Amazing. So that was the, kind of the next question I had was with the education. Was that the main education you had was the hotel yep. management? Yeah, um, yeah. Basically, three years there, learning the ins and outs of running a hotel and a restaurant, and then sort of as I started working there, I got a job at the Victoria Hotel, which is in uh, Little Collins Street, I think it is, or Little Burke Street actually, uh, and they just relaunched their new restaurant. So I. I worked in the restaurant there and as I was kind of studying, working more and more hours, you know, doing 25, 30 hours a week in the restaurant and then studying as well. 
and then when I finished that, I just moved into hotels. Okay, and how was that experience with the hotels? And um, I, I loved working in hotels. Um, I basically started in the restaurant, and I wanted to um, become a, a, a hotel manager. So um, I learned early on that most of the promotions that were from management came from the front of house. So I um, I volunteered to come in and work one day a week in the front of house at, re- at the reception. Um, so I was working full time in the restaurant and then doing one day a week just volunteering and. And then a job came up at the front desk and they offered me the role there and then I got a, um, a role in, up in Cairns as a duty manager at a hotel and then came back to Melbourne as an assistant manager. So um, I think for me it was really good to work not only in the restaurant but then you know the front of house and I'd learn as many areas as I could. And um, I did love working in hotels but um, I also felt that there was a real disconnect between the restaurant, the front of house and it felt like for me so many hotels... It, it was kind of like restaurants were a bit of an afterthought and food and beverage was never that important to them. Um, whereas my kind of dream was always to open a restaurant that had a hotel in it and then you could kind of almost treat the hotel as the same way you would as a restaurant but just instead of having a table, you've got a bedroom and yeah, the same yeah, level of service, awesome. you know, is there. And, and I found like a common like denominator here is a lot of people that have started and have become very successful like yourself, they, they got into the industry, like they've loved it for a long time. And like you said, you're working a full-time job, but you're still volunteering one day a week um, front of house. You find that's like it's it's that passion that you have that helped you get to the point where you're at now. Oh, look, definitely. I think um, you know I've always been a pretty hard worker, and um, probably like yourself, you see opportunities and you you know you've got to kind of take them, but you've also got to be willing to um, put yourself out there and and almost you know do it off your own bat. But um, yeah, I think working hard and and in this industry is probably the most important thing. That's amazing. And um, so obviously, you know, I, I was trying to work out how many venues you've owned um, since day one. And we spoke a bit earlier that Apt was your first first venue. Yeah. Um, since then, you've opened over 12 very successful venues. Um, and out of those 12, obviously, um, everyone talks about the, probably the main three, which is um, Top Paddock, uh, Kettle Black and Higher Ground. Um, probably the most well-known cafes in Australia. I think if anyone's coming, I know when you're in – you're traveling, you open up the magazines on the airplane, and it's usually your venues that are, that are appearing. Mm. Um, it's not a coincidence that everything you touch turns to gold. What's the secret? Like, what is it that, that you do that's different to well, the rest of Australia, really? Um, look, that's a good question. I don't know if I've got the answer, to be honest, man. Um, I think when we first started out, we had a really simple goal with our first cafe, which was, as you said, apt. Um, it was just to do really simple food done really well um but paying attention to detail in terms of like the way you feel in the space the design um the attention to detail of the staff um and i think that's it's kind of easy in a way it's not it's just it's just a few different things done really well um and i think um you know we're not alone in doing that a lot of a lot of really good restaurants and cafes in melbourne do that well Um, i think you guys set the standard because i think if you look at um, I think Top Paddock was your first big venue mm. and you look at that and you guys set the standard of, I'm not sure if you've said it or someone else said it, but you guys are essentially um, breakfast restaurants. Like you, you guys are cafe, like more restaurants and cafes, right? Yeah, I think we kind of felt with, um, with Top Paddock it was a chance to, there was all these kind of cafes around and there was all these restaurants and pubs, but there was this kind of void in the middle where we felt like people weren't being catered to where they could, they could go to a cafe during the day and instead of going to a restaurant where they might go once every month or once every three months, give them that same experience in a cafe but every day. Um, so, you know, using the same really good quality ingredients, having the same kind of chefs using the same kind of techniques um, and even 
even when you know you go to a restaurant, those little design details, why can't they be in cafes? And I think that you see that really a lot now. And I think you were, again, that was, you know, you, Top Paddock was the first of its kind in Australia. And I think you, talking about that stand and that quality, you were the one that kind of pioneered that. So, again, you know, the reason why I'm here is because I, I try to meet the most inspiring people and you're by far one of the most inspiring. So, um, at, during this journey, you've obviously bought and sold venues. Um, you've gone into the real estate game. What's the reason behind selling venues? Like, I got my first cafe, Percy Plunkett, which the idea is selling and it makes me cry. Mm. Um, and I don't want to sell it, but... Obviously, I know there's going to be a time where I have to think about it and consider it. What What is it? Why Why do you sell? And like, and it, when you sell it, do you have that emotional t- attachment to it? Um, yeah. Look, we don't ever go into a business and say this is the plan. We want to sell it in two years. We want to sell it in three years. Um, we are self-funded. We don't have um, an investment group behind us or anything. So, um, for me, I love designing, creating, and building spaces um, and watching them come to life. Um, and I guess you know when you're constantly kind of driven by that you're always looking for new opportunities um and if in order for us to do that we often have to let go and 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 fund it so um from us we look at it almost as like stepping stones you know to to do the next project and the reality is everything has a lifespan everything has like a, a kind of a timeline that you know people like things for and things become out of fashion just as quickly as they come into fashion and i think it's really um important that you know you you know you you keep yourself fresh and you keep yourself kind of um, entertained as much as anyone. You know? and, and how do you how do you stay relevant in that? Like, we, you know, you're talking about there's a lifespan and obviously what's your longest running – how long have you owned one of your venues for? What's the longest period? Uh, probably Top Paddock would be the longest one. That was probably five years. But and how do you stay relevant in that five years? Like, what was what were your secrets to staying relevant? Um, I think just looking at it every, every sort of few months with fresh eyes and, and kind of always – looking at it as a, as a new business and don't ever become, you know, too complacent in what you're doing. Don't ever expect um, that people are going to just keep coming there because of your name. Um, you know, keeping the menu fresh, um, giving a bit of a refurb every now and then, you know, as, as much as it, it costs money, I think, um, you know, people want to go to a place and, and feel like there's love in it after three or four years as opposed to just in the first few weeks when you open. Yeah, I, I think that's been the secret. And a lot of, like, you go to venues, like your, all your venues and, there's always fresh flowers on the table and all these little changes because people get bored. And I think now, especially with social media, they've definitely gotten it's, – it's, we're, all, we're all a bit ADD with our venues, aren't we? So, yeah. Um, and you've, again, you've been able to keep on top of that. So um, when you're looking at a venue, what do you look for and what are the steps taken um, from the first time you look at it to signing the lease and setting it up? Yeah, look, we don't have like a, a really strict criteria. It's always been just how it feels, you know, like – and I'm sure you're, you know, you're the same – like. When you go into a space, the first thing is, how does this space make me feel? Can I imagine being in here as a customer? Um, you know, like when we did Three Bags Full in Abbotsford, that was a really sort of up-and-coming area, but it was still quite un, un, you know, undiscovered. Um, but I was just really drawn to the building and the beauty of the, you know, the, the inside of the building. And I just thought, look, there's people around here that maybe weren't being catered to at the time. Um, how can we add something to the community? And I think if you can bring something to a, you know, a town or a community that is missing um you know what are you offering them that they're not getting now and i think that's kind of what we look at from from a point of view when we look at new sites and is that harder now with obviously there's so much competition like when you started from app to you know your your last venue which is liminal um hazel and deuce um how much harder is it now than when it was say 10 years ago oh it's so much harder you know like there's way more um obviously competition there's way more um 
I think expectations from a customer point of view as well in terms of what you know like we when we opened apt we we had a we didn't even have the menu until about a week before we opened and it was it was beautiful food but it was like you know my wife made this beautiful banana bread with lubner and pistachios and rhubarb that no one was doing so good. um you know like toast with um lamb and, and roasted red pepper and feta uh we did a dish called the tfp which is toast with feta and pesto but really simple food but we used to get people coming to the cafe every week from like other towns away whereas now you can probably go to a cafe or a restaurant in your own town um, or go to a different one every week and still get a really great experience so people aren't necessarily um, needing to go to your restaurant as much to get that kind of experience they can get it okay. at a lot more places now yeah that's interesting and, and you touch on the fact that your wife was the chef mm. um, is she still working within the business yeah we've got four little kids now so she's obviously busy but she does do a couple of days a week at liminal and she'll be um she loves it? Year. Yeah, she loves it. As much as anything just to get away from the kids. But <laughs> It's more she likes to get away from the kids, yeah. A little bit, yeah. And um, during this process, so obviously, you know, we spoke about this um, pre-interview. You've, you know, done hotel management. You've been in real estate. You worked with a design firm. Yep. Do you, when you had all your venues at, like, you know, the high grounds, the top paddock, did you have a team, like, that specialised in design? Did you have a team that specialised in accounting? Or was it just everyone kind of did a bit of everything? Um, so, first of all, we always... For the first, for Apt, Liar, Liar, Three Bags Full, Two Birds, One Stone and the interior of Top Paddock, we did that ourselves in terms of design and construction. Uh, that was sort of what I loved to do. Uh, Kettle Black was the first time we used an interior designer or an architect and then high ground we used one and, and on, on there afterwards. Um, but I, I do see the value in using an interior designer now and a project manager to kind of do that as much as we still project manage them to build ourselves. Um, but the way our, our businesses work is we have... Um, we have like a head office which, which in, in consists of a general manager who kind of oversees the venues. Uh, we have somebody um, who looks after all of our accounts in-house. We have someone doing all of our HR and payroll. Um, so we do have our own little kind of head office uh, and then we just bring in consultants and experts when required. Amazing. And we, within your venues during this process, I don't know how you did it, but you also started a roastery called Square One, Square yeah, One Square Coffee. One. Yep, yeah. Um, what was the reason behind starting a roastery and – and do you recommend, I mean, it's quite saturated at the moment, but do you recommend people starting their own roastery? Um, I think for us, we'd, we'd always had a really good relationship with Five Senses and we'd used them since, uh, since Apt, probably one of the first cafes in Melbourne to use Five Senses back in the day. Um, they were big in Perth and were looking to come over to Melbourne and we had a really great relationship with them. And I think um, after a few years, quite a few years actually, we, it was more just about giving our, our staff the chance to grow and develop within our business. So... Um, Alika Rao, who was um, working with me originally as um, on the floor at uh, Three Bags Full, then she became the head brewster at Top Paddock. Uh, she joined us as a co-partner in the roastery and it was more of a chance for her, I guess, to develop uh, within our business as well. Um, look, coffee roasting is really competitive. There are way, you know, so many um, different companies out there. Um, we didn't look at it necessarily as a way to... Um, Get, get massive wholesale or make a lot of um, money out of it. It was more just for us to be involved in the process. We, you know, we make our own food, we make a lot of our own um, produce, so it just felt like a natural progression to, to do our own coffee. Do you, do you, with, did you wholesale with your roastery or is it, has it yeah. been mainly in-house? Uh, we do. We don't push it, but we do have maybe five or six wholesale accounts that we, um, we supply to. Okay, cool. And um, I know it's something, obviously, you know, we don't expect no numbers and whatnot, but 
how important is knowing your numbers um, in the industry? Like obviously your wage costs, your food costs. Um, and I've found that sometimes the higher turnover, you know, I've had this problem with my venue was your high turnover, but sometimes it hides some of the problems you have within your venue because it's such high turnover. Mm-hmm. There's cash flow there. What, what, what's it like for you? Did you go through a period where you didn't understand it as much as you do now and, and obviously you've learned over the time? Like what's, what's the process like? Because I know a lot of people, me included, opened up with not really knowing the industry as much as they should have. Yeah, look, I'd be just as guilty as that, I'd say. Like when we opened our first one, um, we had an accountant, but, you know, it's very hard to have a business where you, you're getting money coming all the time, but then you've got a plan to pay it out in the future with, you know, with GST and super and all those things. So it's a really hard thing to know how much of that money is yours at any time. And I think unless you've got a, a big firm or a team behind you, um, it's quite a lot for a, a sole operator to be expected to know and to be able to handle. Um, but we, we kept it really simple right from the start. We used to sort of know what our takings were each week and have pretty regular income. Um, we used to just try and almost give ourselves a weekly budget for food if we knew what our food costs were each week and then we'd kind of monitor it, try and keep them around 28%. Um, wages has always been something that we've struggled with because we do have a particular level of service in our restaurants where it's all table service. It's very much about the service experience. So, Well, you're, um, you're giving a fine dining experience in a cafe and you yeah. said that's what you guys were trying to do with Top Paddock. And yeah. So I understand your wage costs would always be a lot higher than the standard place, right? Yeah, not so much a fine dining, more just a restaurant quality experience in a cafe. So, um, you know, like we would never be able to get our wages below 35%, whereas I was always told you need to keep them at 30 but I've never been able to do it. And I think if we did or we tried to, it would come at the expense of the, the experience. Um, so it just obviously leaves less profit in the business. But for me, that's important to keep that level of service there. And is there a number? Um, so obviously, like, you know, we talk about 35% food costs, um, you know, sorry, wage costs, say 25 to 30 with food and bev. Is there a number that cafes work towards that's the standard now in the industry? Like, what's your thoughts of what the standard is on net profit? Oh, uh, look... I think if you're getting 5% net profit now, you, you're doing well. Um, 10% would be the goal. But um, more and more, it's becoming harder and harder to um, you know, get those figures. But yeah, 10% would be ideal. And, and we'll, we'll touch on um, COVID a bit later on in the conversation, but do you think COVID's kind of put a spotlight on the hospitality industry and said, like, if, a month, if you're closed for a month, your business won't last? And do you think this is kind of now an opportunity for the government to look at it and say, hey, look, you know, we need help. Obviously, the whole GST factor, everything we get into our business is GC-free, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then we're paying GST on everything. Yep. Do you think this is something where it's an opportunity for the government to look at and, and help us? Oh, look, I absolutely do. I think I don't think they probably realise how entwined hospitality is in our, in our society. You know, like 100%. it affects a lot of people. Um, yep. So much money that people spend in restaurants goes back out to suppliers and back into the community. You know, 90, 95% of what they spend in restaurants goes back out. Um, you know, like I think restaurants and cafes were already, you know, struggling before this with margins being so thin. Um, but I think this is an opportunity to maybe look at what's what's working and what's not working and, and hopefully make some decisions. Yeah, totally. Um, and obviously, you know, you're very humble and you always take, give a lot of people credit. Um, you had some partners who I've met, um, Diamond and Ben. Yep. Uh, Ben's since left. He's... He's travelling around Australia. What a guy. How lucky. <laughs> <laughs> is he still travelling now with everything yeah, that's yeah. happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously um, I've met – I spent a lot of time with Diamond when I was with you guys um, last time and her philosophy and the way she looks – the way she talks about people and how important they are to the business was – I had a chat to her while she was dropping me off to the airport and I remember she said something about it's not about people buying into your vision because we don't want people to buy into it. We want them to believe 
in the mm. vision we're doing. Mm. How like that for me inspired me so much. And obviously, I spent a lot of time with you and Diamond, not much with Ben. But you guys seem like you have a really good partnership. Mm. One thing I want to ask is: is where are you? What are partnerships like for you? Do they usually have they always worked for you? And, and what advice would you give someone that's going into a partnership? Um, yeah, look, I, I guess in the beginning um, it was just my wife and I and our first uh, cafe at Apt. And then uh, Ben and Diamond were both sort of working with me and I, I just thought it was an opportunity to bring somebody else in to share some of the responsibility but to also share the rewards. So it's, um, it's like a relationship. There's risks in any relationship. Um, they don't always work out but that's kind of life, you know. So I've, I've, um, I've had some, some really good relationships and I've had some good partnerships um, the ones that haven't worked out haven't ended terribly. Um, it's often just people grow and change and evolve over time and have different, um, different ideas. But I think in life you've got to take a few risks and they don't always work out. And, and obviously, you know, you've been, how long has the partnership been with yourself and Diamond? Oh, um, before I had my first child, so, and she's 10 now, so probably 12 or 13 years. We've That's been awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously you guys are both beautiful people and I, I know why it works is your morals and your ethics and your values are very similar. Mm. Um, we spoke about staying relevant, but with social media being a big part, um, you know, obviously back in the day it was a lot easier to stand out on social media. Now it's a lot harder. What, what, um, how big is the social media industry game in, in, in for hospitality? Look, I think it's changed a lot. Look, we were really lucky when we opened Top Paddock. We were probably one of the first cafes to open have an Instagram account, and I remember thinking, "What is this Instagram?" You know, uh, and I remember we hit ten thousand followers, and that was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And then. I think we got to like 80,000 followers. Uh, it was really powerful because at the time, a lot of people were really looking at it for sort of sources of inspiration and, and, and knowledge. Um, and then for us to be able to open other restaurants and other cafes and be able to promote them through social media was a really powerful tool. Um, I do think that it's become a little bit um, less relevant now and I think people don't look at it as much. And I think um, it became a little bit all the same, you know, in terms of, one, peop- one person's social Instagram feed looked like somebody else's. Um, and I think the one thing that it did that I didn't like was that it encouraged people to, to not be so loyal to a venue because they were constantly looking for new photos yeah. and new experiences, whereas, you know, we built our restaurants initially on that kind of constant connection and constant, um, you know, customers coming through. So um, I think, it's, again, everything has a lifespan. I think, I think Instagram is not as relevant as it used to be and I think people are probably more wanting real connections and real... Um, you know, real stories now, but it's still a massive part of it. You can't really do a business without it, right? No. Yeah. And uh, are you on TikTok yet or no? You know what? I got <laughs> I got somebody told me to do it about a year ago and I just couldn't see how it couldn't be relevant to my business. And I, my kids are always like, can we look at it? And I do look at it occasionally with them and I still just think, look, I'm sure there's a there's a way you could make it work, but I haven't jumped in the pool yet. It's a bit cringeworthy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I can't. I think Instagram is beautiful because for me, it's a digital menu. Yeah. And a lot of times, people look on the menu while they're trying to choose something um, to eat. So I kind of like it for that reason. But I, I know how, like you said, it's not as relevant as it used to be. That's for sure. So um, one project I want to talk about, um, and this is this is probably the reason why I reached out to you originally because we're building a farm, and, and I noticed um, this is where we're, we're recording at the moment in. Um, Fresh Creek, Freshwater Creek, Freshwater Creek, yeah. um, called the Common Ground Project. Now this is a beautiful project, social enterprise, yeah. um, and it's and you're doing it all for the right reasons. So we talk a little bit about, um, you know, we've spoken when I met you. I came work today with you in the farm, um, and there's a lot of talk about uh, meditation, regenerative farming, um, obviously being a social enterprise. 
is this, do you think this has, you've changed as time gone on in the industry and you've kind of now, it's about giving back and, and helping the industry. And I know you touch a lot about, on about um, uh, obviously the mental health is a big part of, of why you're doing this. Yep. Can you explain the project, what it is, why you're doing it and how important it is? Yeah, well, it's probably one of the most important things I've ever done. Um, and it really means a lot to me. Um, it, it, it sort of started a few years ago where we, we had another farm, that, um, a property that we had, and one of our chefs, I said, do you want to come down and work on the farm and let's grow some produce? And I, I didn't really have many expectations, but um, just the act of him coming down to the farm one or two days a week and growing produce, um, firstly, it was a really great opportunity for our kitchen to start being involved in growing their own food, which I think we've lost a lot of that in our society where we don't know where our food's coming from, who grew it, you know, the benefits of it. Um, but not only that, he, he also noticed that his mental health was improving because of it and we started looking into some research and saw that, you know, connecting with people on the land, um, the food that we eat and, and just um, meditation are really important aspects of our mental health. Um, and we looked into, you know, the fact that most people have, um, well, everyone has mental health, whether you like it or not. Um, it's good and bad and it changes as what, you know, depending on what you're going through. So um, we just felt like there was a real opportunity to, I guess, let our staff feel more um, in, engaged and connected with what we're growing but also focus on their mental health. Um, and we also wanted it to be open to the public and also open to other people in other industries or even other restaurants around Melbourne. So, um, yeah, we, we set this up about a year ago. It's a four-acre farm with a cafe on site. Um, and we've got um, the goal to basically grow, you know, two to three acres of produce here. Um, regenerative agriculture is really important because it, it's, it's different to normal farming. There's no chemicals or pesticides, um, which normal, normal farming practice kills all of the biomes in the soil and life in the soil, whereas this is actually about rebuilding the life in the soil, which is um, then helpful in capturing carbon and reducing harmful greenhouse gases as well. Um, um, and, and meditation can teach you that, you know, stressful times, everyone has stress in their life, but it's about being able to step back from it and let it pass and not let it affect you as much. Um, you know, like every, think about a bad experience you might have had in your past where, you know, whether it be in your, your work life or your personal life, at the time you felt like it was a really big deal, but now you're over it, you know, so you've got to kind of look at that and say, well, every, every emotion you have and every feeling you have has a beginning and a middle and an end. So something that's really important for us. And I, and I think that's perfectly explained. And I think one thing I loved was when we came and worked with you. I think what was amazing was we started the day off with a bit of meditation. Yep. Um, I think this is something which I know I'm going to implement into my business. Mm. Um, do you think how important is having that meditation before work and, and helping? Because for me personally, I understand, like now I know, I've probably struggled more in my life in the last two years since owning a business, mm. a hospitality business. So yep. I understand how important it is. And I feel like the hospitality industry has a lot of people that suffer from the mental health issues. And um, what, what, why, why the meditation? Yeah, well, so look, one in four people struggle with mental health, um, you know, anxiety, depression. Um, and I guess when you think about mental health, you've got your physical health where you might go to the gym, you know, a few times a week. You've got your, your gut health where you might take vitamins. For me... Um, meditation and mental health is med meditation is like basically you know brushing your teeth for your mind you know you, you should get up in the morning every day spend five or ten minutes just allowing your mind to basically have a bit of a break from all of the, the noise that's in there you know don't necessarily jump in straight away to and react to a, a bad experience just step back and let the moment pass and then maybe the, the situation isn't as bad as it you know it could have been but yeah for us meditation is essentially just um 
you know, like you, you don't expect a car to run 24 hours a day without putting oil in the, in the, in the car. Well, 100%. the mind's the same. And do you find, like, how was, what was, what was the subject about mental health back when you first started? Was it, did people talk about it? No, it was never spoken about. And I think, you know, it was almost frowned upon that you talk about it. But like I said, we want our staff and we want people to feel like mental health is something that affects everybody. And it's, you should better talk about it as much as you talk about having a cold or, or um, you know, having asthma or having anything else, you know. And obviously this is a social, pro- uh, social enterprise, um, not-for-profit, and you, you've set up a model where it's like a subscription once uh, where – can you tell us a little bit more about how that works and how that helps you guys? Yeah, sure. So obviously, um, you know, we've got – running a farm takes money and we've got a full-time farm manager here who basically runs the farm. So we've set it up as uh, – with a couple of different options. One of them is that um, restaurants and chefs from Melbourne can basically um, pay like a weekly subscription. They come down to the farm one day a week, do the meditation, work on the farm, have lunch, and then um, part of the proceeds that what we grow will be sent back to their restaurant so they can actually use the, re- the produce that they've grown. Um, we've also got a corporate model where corporates can do the same thing where they can come down um, as a group and work on the farm and then take them back to their, to their venue. Um, and then we're also now looking at an education program for people where um, people that might be in the area who are facing barriers to employment can come down, um, learn on the job training about how to become a farmer and then we can um, potentially partner them up with landowners in the area to have their own business and, and create their own um, farm. That's amazing. And I know how important this project is to you and I know you spent you know, a lot of money from your own pocket to make this happen and, yep. and it shows the kind of person you are even when I've asked for help and you know, I've reached out to you just through Instagram, you've helped, you've been very generous with your time and, and this is very special because it's allowing me, instead of me sitting there worrying about making money for the next 10 years, I know that's important but at the same time, I know it's very important to give back. So mm-hmm. just like you were with the first few cafes you built, you, you know, you're setting the standard of how the industry should be and, and how it should be moving forward. So um, thank you for that. Like I, I know how important that is. So. No worries. Um, Moving more on to obviously mentors and who, who do you have that, you know, is there any mentors or mentors that you've met in your life that have helped you get to the point you're at now? Um, most of my mentors are sort of people that are outside the industry who I really rely on. So um, people on, uh, on the board for Common Ground Project, um, Nick Byrne, uh, Rebecca Scott actually, the CEO of, of Street, who's a, um, a great mentor as well. Uh, Dave Curtis, who's an awesome guy. People that are kind of in other parts of business who I can... I think sometimes you can get a bit wrapped up in hospitality and if you talk to totally. people in our industry too much, you're kind of, you're drinking the same bathwater, yeah, you know? so true. Great uh, it's, it's nice to be able to get some different perspectives on business and on life. Um, but yeah, Diamond, my business partner, is a, a mentor as well and I go to her a lot. Yeah, she's amazing. And we're going to try to get her on the podcast as well. We so. <laughs> um, out of all the venues you've started, what, what's, what's your favourite? What one is the closest to your heart? What, what's the one that you say that it's, it's, it's most important to you? Yeah, look, they're all, for me personally, such um, special projects. I mean, it's like, you know, having children, you love them all for different reasons. Um, Apt was so so humble and such a, it was so naive in so many ways. We didn't have really very big expectations of it and it was something that was really successful um, really quickly. Um, Three Bags Full was probably that kind of stepping stone from a small cafe to a large kind of industrial-style cafe. Um, I'd probably say higher ground will always be pretty amazing and just it's such a beautiful space and, you know, even to this day if I walk in there, I just kind of look up and I'm amazed by um, the scale of it. Um, well, we spoke about that and you said that it was empty for a long time and no one wanted to touch it. Yeah, we, I mean, that was sitting there empty for many, many years and then it was um, deserted for like 20 or 30 years and then 
it was for rent for a couple of years and, and yeah, a lot of people looked at it but nobody wanted it. Um, and I actually looked at it once and even said no to it and then I actually signed the lease for a smaller one around the corner that was way, way smaller for a totally different concept and then I was like, hang on a minute, what am I doing? Why wouldn't I just do what I do? And that's build cafes and, um, and I'm so glad we did. You know, it was such a, um, a great experience but it was also a big risk. You know, it was a, it was a weird part of town. Um, taking on that size building in a, in a dead part of town was pretty risky but um, thankfully it worked. That's amazing. It definitely worked. <laughs> um, and obviously, you've, you've, you know, what, what's the end game for you? So if I said to you, where, you know, it's a bit cliche, but where do you see yourself in five, ten years? Like, do you want to keep building? Obviously, common projects are a big part of what you – common ground projects are a big yep. part of what you do. But what, what's, what's the end game for Nathan? Yeah, I probably should have an end game, shouldn't I? But I honestly <laughs> – I know. I've, I've never had a business plan. I've never had an end goal. I just um, like to do what I like and – and enjoy what I'm doing. So as long as I'm enjoying this and having fun and, and able to be creative and kind of get what I need out of it, I'll keep doing it. Um, I think um, the, the farm and this project is at the centre of everything I do. So restaurants around it kind of support it and will, will kind of, you know, may come and go. But as long as um, this kind of remains, um, that's important to me. Always dreamed of doing a hotel. Probably not the best time now, but, um, yeah, maybe one day. I'm sure if you put your mind to it, you'll definitely do it because... There's nothing I don't think you can't achieve, so um, very inspiring. But what um, I think in regards to the industry, you obviously, because you've built so many successful cafes, you obviously offered a lot of venues, a lot of spaces. When do you say no? How do you know to say no? Like, I know we spoke a long time ago and you said to me that, you know, you've said no to a lot more things you said yes to. How do you know when to say no? What And why do you say no? Yeah, look, it is hard to say no. Um, and I think it's saying no is probably the, the hardest thing for me to do is because it's 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 such an exciting process to build something and to make it come to life. Um, but Diamond, my business partner, also says to me, you know, what are the grass you've got? You've got don't always look at the greener grass. So um, I think for me, if I was ever to do um, you know new projects, I'd have to have the the financial capability to do it, but also the mental capability, and that yeah. that means the space in my life and my mind to do it. Um, and you know. We, we've got a lot to focus on right now with what's going on with COVID-19. So I think um, it'd have to be pretty amazing for me to do something at the moment. Totally. And um, before we get on to, um, to COVID, what the, the question, I guess the, the biggest thing is, you, you know, with Common Ground Project now, is that something where, just before we go on to COVID, is that something that you feel you're going to spend a lot of time with before you move on to other projects? Yeah, I really want this to um, to get right. Like we've, we've spent a lot of time and money getting as much produce into the ground. Um, we've got a couple of grants this year which allows us to expand on that, which is really great. Um, we we want to have a situation where, you know, we can supply a lot of people with a lot of food uh, and have it as accessible to as many people as possible. Um, and if, if, you know, we can get government or um, corporate support to do that. We think it's a really important project that, that ticks a lot of boxes, both socially and environmentally. So, um, yeah, this is this is a really important project to us right now. Yeah, it is very inspiring. And obviously you touched on that with um, COVID affecting you and it kind of helped in a way where you were able to focus on, on the farming and things like that. But for your other venues, what has COVID done for you? Like, what I mean, how's it affected you? You know, what's, you know, have you, how did you kind of adapt during this process and what's the, what do you see the future like in the hospitality industry? Yeah, look, it's um, it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to face in my life. Um, you know, like as a, as an entrepreneur or as, as someone who operates cafes, you basically 
you, you, you look into the future and you plan how something's going to be based on how the world is. And I think the biggest thing with COVID is that there's so much uncertainty regarding the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how people are going to be affected. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. So um, in many ways, um, I saw a lot of people pivoting to other things. And I think that's, as a restaurant or a cafe, you've got to look at other revenue streams now. You can't just rely on your restaurant or cafe um, making money from serving customers because that may not be possible. Um, so, you know, how can you add other revenue streams? Um, we, we've got a few things we're working on, but we also want to be able to kind of take it a little bit slowly. Uh, you know, it's, in some ways, um, it's, it's important not to jump too quickly into this as well because, you know, making a mistake now can be, can be you know, really costly. And in America, they're talking about like up to 60 to 70% of restaurants, cafes closing. Mm. Do you see that in Australia? Or do you think the government's kind of reacted pretty well and helped? Look, I think the government's done really well in terms of keeping the economy going and keeping the restaurants going. Um, I think JobKeeper's obviously been a real um, saviour for the industry. There's no way that the restaurants and cafes could be surviving without totally. it. Um, I really believe they should be extending it longer than September because the fact is that restaurants and cafes won't return to normal until until there is a, a cure or, you know, someone, someone feels comfortable coming into these restaurants again. Um, I think that... You know, it might be 12 months before things return to normal. It might be 18 months. Um, I do think there'll probably be a lot of casualties out of this. There was already a lot of restaurants and cafes that were probably struggling financially before this, um, and this is not going to help. Nathan, how do you feel about that? Like, I think, you know, in my opinion, you're probably one of the most successful um, restaurateurs in Australia. How does that make you feel? Is this the hardest thing you've gone through in your, in your career? Oh, absolutely. I think this is going to be the hardest thing a lot of people go through in their entire life. You know, there's so much um, pain and uncertainty for a lot of people. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because even the government doesn't know what's going on. So how are we supposed to know what's going on as, as restaurateurs? Like, you know, we're just, we're just trying to do something that kind of comes naturally, but this is not a natural environment. This is not a natural situation. You know, this is, um, this is unprecedented. Yeah, it's um, it's something that I guess the whole everyone in the world is going through this, you know. So, um, anyone getting into the industry, anyone that wants to start their own cafe or restaurant, um, what advice would you give them? Well, well, I'd probably I'd probably just say wait a few months, uh, see how things <laughs> things go. Um, it's probably like for me, it's like buying your first house. You know, like when you buy your first house, you've got a dream to have a four bedroom house with a garage, but realistically, you might only be able to afford a one bedroom flat. So, probably just um, live within your means, don't overextend yourself, um, get as much um, information and knowledge as you can before you get into it, um, you know, like work in the industry before you get into it and make sure you really love it. Um, don't just do it because you think you're going to make money because you're not. Um, you may, but you may not. You've got to do it because you really love it and you're really passionate about it. Um, try and have something that I think is something that people need. You know, like there's no point opening a cafe or a restaurant near another cafe or restaurant that's offering the same thing. Um, you know, do something that actually people are going to want. Oh, awesome. That's great advice. Um, and we haven't touched on this yet, and, and one of the ventures you're involved with is um, Louis Croissants. Mm. Um, it's probably the biggest, most popular pastry um, venue in Australia. What was your involvement? How did you get involved with that? Yeah, I'm super... Um, grateful to be involved in that business and love uh, Kate and Cam, they're awesome, um, awesome guys. Um, it's, a, it's a long story. Kate, um, Kate worked, f actually no, 
in our first cafe apt, she used to come there as a customer and I didn't really know her that well, but she used to come in once a week. And then one day um, we got an email and she said, oh, hi, my name's Kate. I love coming to your cafe and I come there once a week and I eat your muffin and I would love if you could share the recipe with me. I'm not a, I'm not a pastry chef, I'm not a baker, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a Formula One engineer, but I just love them and I'd love to know what the recipe is. And my wife used to get these requests all the time and she'd normally say no, but she's like, yeah, give her the recipe. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, just give it to her. And so she, she gave Kate the, the muffin recipe and she said, don't share it with anybody and she still hasn't, thank God. And then um, probably, probably a couple of years later we had three bags full and we were advertising for a pastry chef and Kate applied for the job and she said, hey, you might remember me. I'm um, the girl that asked for the muffin recipe a few years ago. Um, I really want to become a pastry chef. I don't have much experience, but I'm really passionate. So she came in and, and I thought, look, this girl's awesome. She's got a really good temperament, really good um, just attention to detail. And, and, and the fact that she wanted to, to do something really you know, inspired me. So we gave her a job as a, as a pastry chef without necessarily any qualifications. And she was doing a couple of days a week pastry, a couple of days a week on the floor. When we sold three bags full, she said, hey, I want to go to Paris and I want to learn how to make croissants and come back and open a croissant business. And I was like, that's a great idea, Kate. <laughs> Thinking, Shaking your head, yeah, right? What a yeah. terrible idea. But <laughs> she's, as in true Kate form, um, she did. And, of course, she mastered it and she came back and she opened this little croissant business in Elwood called Loon. And everyone was talking about it and I'm like, what the hell is this, this going on? And I went down there one day and she's like, oh, come in and try, um, try one. And I'm like, oh, which one? I want to get the biggest. It's like, no, try the Quinamon. It's this little one here. And I just tried it and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And so... After that minute, I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I love these croissants and I need to be involved somehow. So just randomly, I'd, I'd leased that warehouse in Fitzroy about a year earlier and it was just sitting there empty for no reason. And my business partners, Ben and I, were like, what, what are you, you going to do with this warehouse? You're paying rent on it. You've got it for no reason. What are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's for some beautiful, reason. Beautiful, beautiful warehouse, yeah. Yeah. And then I just said to Kate and Cam, hey, do you guys want an investor? I'd love to be a partner. And, and I've also got this great site that could be a great site for a new loon. And it's been... Um, yeah, it's been great ever since. And and the the response to their pastries are unbelievable, right? And mm. and you've been more silent than this. Like I didn't know about it until kind of like I did a bit more research and then I seen you wearing the loon shirt. I'm like, do you support these guys? And he goes, <laughs> I'm actually, you know, you're very humble about it. But what, what what's this what's the secret to how good they are? Um, well I think Kate naturally is just a genius. Like the, whatever she does in terms of that, she just makes it amazing. Um, they use the best quality ingredients. Um, you know, that she she tests things out until she finds the the right you know the right quality ingredients. Um, her te- her techniques are really amazing. She kind of breaks things down um, in more like a kind of a scientific way. Um, it's just a really good product, and they're, they're really good people. I think when you combine those two things together, it's um it's a winning formula. Yeah, I think I think you you know you've touched on the fact that you got to work with good people and. It doesn't matter how, how good they are or what they do, they've got to be good people. So mm. um, I think that's a, that's a very good note to take from this. Um, and you guys are opening Sydney, uh, Loon in Sydney. Yeah, look, that's the plan. We've got a, um, a site. We're just um, in the middle of finishing the design now and then um, hopefully in the next sort of you know, few months we'll start and opening probably next year. Very exciting. Um, just a few more questions before we wrap up. Um, I'm very mindful of your time. Um, just creating a culture, create, creating a culture and then keeping that culture like again you've created some amazing venues every venue i've went to the services was always excellent um what's some advice how do you do it and what's some advice to people that are trying to build a team yeah i don't know if it's one thing i think it's just um having a supportive environment giving um giving the staff the kind of 
the space to do their job and the autonomy, I guess, to be able to do their job well, um, employ nice people um, and be a nice person as well, you know. Um, I think um, if you employ nice people that actually like service and like each other, um, you're, you're halfway there. And they've got to like people, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and is it something that you're constantly having to work on with culture? Is that something you have to keep working on to keep that culture? Um, yeah, it's like anything. You've got to you've got to keep on it all the time. Um, you know, I've got a really great general manager Ryan who is um, awesome with people, and he's always just checking in on everyone. Um, I think communication is really important. Um, you know, weekly meetings and just having having um, really simple and clear goals. With with that, I've found I've struggled a little bit sometimes. Like I'm too soft. What's you know, Danny Myers in America talks about who's the king of hospitality. There talks about like applied pressure and how do you how do you keep that discipline but also at the same time show that care and kindness i think it's just about having the standard so if you kind of live it and you've got a standard that you uphold then people around you will just fall, fall into place or if they don't then they're not meant to be in the team totally and is it hard like to get rid of people is that something you struggle with um look not so hard because i think we're really we're really careful about getting the right people so we make a lot we make it a lot sort of more i guess protective of coming into the group so that when you're in the group you're in the group and that, and, and you guys have, have had a pretty good retention of staff, haven't you? So yeah, yeah, we've got some really long-term staff that have been with us for a long time. That's awesome. So I've got two more questions. One more is, um, sorry, three more. Mm. Uh, your favourite quote? What's your favourite all-time quote? Oh my god, you could have told me. <laughs> um, uh, actually, you know what? I don't. I don't know if I've got one. Yeah. Yeah. What's yours? <laughs> My quote. Um, actually, you know what? Now I'm on the spot. You're right. It's pretty hard. So I'll come back to you on that. Um, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and what, favorite book or something that you think has helped you in the industry, or is there a podcast or a book that you listen to or read, or that's kind of helped you in your career? Oh, uh, look. Every book I read at the time is really important. Um, Setting the table with Danny Meyer was good. Um, Small giants about being great rather than being big. I think you know sometimes it's better just to be great and be good at what you do than necessarily be big and be really bad at what you do. Yeah, because sometimes people grow for the, for the ego and for the sake of it, right, not for the right reasons. Yeah, I think you can naturally – people often think if you're good at something, you should grow, but, you know, you don't need to do that if you don't necessarily want to as long as you're achieving your goals. Um, yeah, podcasts I listen to, um, Rich Roll quite a bit, um, Masters of Scale with Reid Hoffman, um, Dave Chang – Depending, sometimes hospitality ones are too much. Yeah. Um, and, and do you, um, sorry, I know I said one more question, but how hard is it for you to switch off? Like, is that, are you able to do that? Is it something where you balance, where you have time with family, time, or is it something you try to integrate and try to make it all part of, like, one? Look, I probably, I probably do have, I don't have trouble sleeping and going to um, sleep at night, but I do probably have my work around me quite a bit um, when I'm at home. But I do also try and be really strict about you know, putting the phone down between certain times and, you know, having designated sort of weekend times where we can go on a bike ride and stuff. But the reality is if you own a business, you are always working. Amazing. Um, a question, one of my favourite podcasts I listen to is How I Built This, and he always asks, the last question he asks is, how much do you attribute to luck and how much do you attribute to hard work? Um, All the success that you've had. Yeah, look... I think it's a lot of hard work, but I think it's a lot of luck as well. You know, I think it's about um, timing, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Um, we kind of had an attitude right from the start of we had nothing to lose, you know, and I think if you, if you can maintain that kind of attitude in a lot of ways you can do well, but once you start to have that fear of failure and fear of being judged and maybe not making the right move, 
it can kind of cripple you and, and make you free. So um, I have to keep reminding myself, you know, and my wife and my business partners do that really well, is like just believe in yourself and don't be afraid to fail but also, you know, take some chances and take some risks um, and just just live that. Yeah, it's, this, is, this podcast has been amazing. Thank you, man. I know um, you've been very generous. Every time I've reached out to you, you've always been there for advice and, and is it something that um, – I'm pushing it with one more question, but is it something that you're very generous with your time and you're happy to help? Is there a reason why or is it just because it's, it, it is who you, who you are? I think for me, like, I've always been happy to help people in any way I can. I think if you, sh- if you can help somebody, you should. And then, like what, like I said, if someone, if I ever need help, hopefully someone will help me on the same way. But, um, yeah, imagine if everyone helped everyone around them, how good it would be. What a, what a beautiful place we live in. So, um, Nathan, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope to see you in Sydney soon. Yeah, I'll be there. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Thanks, mate.